This is just a trigger warning. The top of the episode begins with a bit of a discussion around sexual assault. So if that is not something you're interested in hearing about, feel free to skip the first five to seven minutes or so. It'll take you right into the meat of the conversation. Lauren Mitchell. And before we get this thing started, I wanted to tell you a story of something interesting that happened in Toronto recently. Toronto is where I'm from. It's where I'm sitting right now. There was a band that came to town. They are an all-female... Sorry, I hate having to use that modifier, but they are a band full of all women. They are called L7. They play punk music. They are a feminist punk band. They played a show in Toronto recently... At that show, something happened that I think happens a lot. But the weird thing about this specific time was that it became public. A bunch of women that were there got pretty pissed because the room seemed to be full of men and men who they knew were prominent in the arts and media community here in Toronto, who happened to be people who had committed sexual assault, harassment, allegedly. I'm throwing allegedly in here because libel, whatever, whatever. But I'm gonna say right now off the top, I believe women. When they tell you that something bad has happened to them. They started a shit list. Uh, as a nod to the L7 song, they started a shit list in the bathroom. Now, this list was just names of men that were at the concerts and a subsequent list of horrible things that they had done. So, date rape, sexual harassment, any of that garbage, garbage stuff that men can get away with pretty easily in this society, that was on the list. So, I think that up until this point, that's a pretty normal thing. I've always had women warn me about men that they didn't think were safe. It's something we do for each other in private. What happened that was weird in this situation was that someone took a picture of it and they put it on the internet. Now you have all these men being publicly accused in a way that they were only ever privately accused, as much as you can ever accuse someone in private. And it turned Toronto into a bit of a shitstorm for a couple days. People defending themselves, people coming out with stories, all of the things that come out when we have these conversations around sexual assault and the legal repercussions or lack thereof. It had surprised all of these men, all of these dudes that I knew were shocked that that's what we do, that that's what we do in private to protect each other. I don't think it was surprising to me or any other woman. I have a network of women. Every woman I know has a network of women that we use to help us navigate any kind of situation, but especially situations where violence or sexual assault or any of that is involved because there's not a lot of support for us. 
I'm a comedian. Uh, I realize maybe I haven't been super funny so far, but I promise that I am occasionally and I will be on this podcast. But it also got me thinking about the ways in which comedy is sort of a crazy battle. You're either on the ground, you're an amateur comic, and you're sort of fighting that sexism from the ground up, or you become incredibly famous and all anyone ever asks you is, what's it like to be a woman in comedy? Like, who cares? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's so much stuff missing. So much goes missing when we talk to women because all you want is the aesthetics. All you want is for women to be nice and be smart and be pretty and be likable. And that's not what we always are. We have fascinating inner lives. We have fascinating communities. And I just want to talk to women who are cool, who are doing stuff, who are making art. And I want to know about the process. I want to know about the things that honestly most people ignore when they talk to women. That is what this podcast is going to be about. That is why I called it Cavern of Secrets. It's my nod to the Princess of Canada, Carly Rae Jepsen. But it's also a nod to the cavern of secrets that we have inside of us as women and that we have as a community of women. And now, after all that heavy shit, I want to introduce you to our very first guest on our very first episode. We have Tavi Gevinson here with us. My friend Natalie says hi. Natalie? <laughs> yeah, you don't know her, oh. but she was like, please tell her I say hello. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Please tell her I say hi back. Yeah, she was like, did you know one time I dressed up as her for Halloween? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Amazing. I was like, uh, no, but that's a great story. Um, that is, I love knowing that. When I was a freshman in high school, someone, like a neighborhood mom, didn't know I lived in uh, Oak Park, Illinois, and thought I was dressed up as me for Halloween. <laughs> She's like, are you the blogger girl? Are you dressed up as her? You're like, bitch. I am the blogger girl. It me. <laughs> You're like, I invented that meme. Yeah. Um, is it funny to you that like old women are like you're you're inspiring um you are not an old woman <laughs> um but uh is it fun it's so nice i mean i think that's cool like i feel inspired by people who work for rookie who are younger than me mm -hmm. where i'm like oh oh my god a few weeks ago i went to this thing in new york called teen art salon and it was all this work from uh, by teenagers, and I normally find artists for Rookie because people are posting their stuff on Instagram mm -hmm. and Tumblr and whatnot, but these were, like, teenagers who really weren't trying to put themselves mm -hmm. out there, and it was really special to see the stuff they had been making just for themselves, and then they were kind of begrudgingly like, uh, okay, you can use it, but I was like, oh, wow, yeah, the goal really is to be, like, 15 years old, and be able to just, like, be alone and explore your ideas. And then, like, a few days later, I interviewed Adrian Tamina, and he said that he's always trying to make cartooning feel the way it did when he was a teenager, when it you just, like, shut the world out and time disappears. It's funny, but it's, like, super nice. I feel like there's a lot that 
can be learned from, I don't know, younger people. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I just get excited when I talk about No, I like there's teens. <laughs> there's something to me about like, I think there's something really disingenuous about the notion that art isn't anything unless you make it for other people or like mm-hmm. axiom or whatever that goes around that's like, are you a writer if no one ever reads your stuff? Or right, are you an right. artist if no one ever sees it? And I think that's like incredibly disingenuous. I, I remember in at some point in high school, I became aware that like, oh, maybe it uh, is affecting me in some negative way that I am so accustomed to having an audience uh, and that my brain is developing as I am like getting feedback on on things. And so I started keeping a journal and I became obsessed with people like Henry Darger, who just was a, I think, a custodian who lived in Chicago, I think. And when he passed away, they found all of this stuff in his house where he had just created this really elaborate world through paintings and writing um, of all these stories of these uh, children, the Vivian girls. Um, that's where the band gets their name. And, like, Rookie is meant to service its readers, mm-hmm. but there is, I always want there to be you know, it's like there are the pieces that are more instructive and concretely about whatever the reader's going through. And then there's stuff that's just like, look at what this girl made. Amazing. Her yeah. sketchbook. So cute. <laughs> um, not in much better words. Yeah. But yeah. No, I mean, there's something that's always like really fascinated me about Kafka on his deathbed was like, <laughs> just burn it all. Just burn, you just burn it. He is the best friend. A guy named Max Brode uh-huh. was there, and he was like, "You gotta get rid of all of it." I'm a fucking um, terrible writer. Oh my god! And then his what? friend was like, "100, percent I'm definitely gonna burn it all. Don't worry." And then <laughs> Kafka died, and he was like, "Totally, J.K. I'm publishing <laughs> all of it. Like the unfinished stuff, it's getting published. The finished stuff, it's getting published." And I think that's Damn. like, I think that's fascinating that yeah. he was like on his deathbed was like. Never mind. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, wow. I made all this art and it turns out like I don't want anyone to see it. You know, like I think pop music is so interesting because it accounts for like the listener and the listening experience. But we are in this day and age so accustomed to needing feedback or needing to be like acknowledged for everything we do for it to feel like it happened to generalize a lot. Not everyone feels that way, but I've certainly <laughs> like grown up on the Internet. Yeah. And it's not even just like if I've published it online but just as a diary keeper like if I've written it down or something Mm -hmm. it's like if I didn't then it didn't happen and then I'm confused but then I'm like well I can't spend half my day writing about the other half of the day (laughs) because I'm like that's the day that's very (laughs) I like that I read an interview with you recently where you were talking about sort of like interviewers asking celebrity women about like, are you a feminist? Oh, yeah, yeah. And like, that's fascinating to me because I think that like asking them that question because you know it's going to elicit a certain response is Mm -hmm. like disrespectful of women's humanity. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) It's, um, I mean, it always bothers me. I think uh, there's a list somewhere of like, jokingly a joking list of like who is and isn't a feminist according to just the headlines yeah um and i think it it just bothers me because it's not yeah it makes feminism feel like are you with us or against us and it does sort of boil it down to like a it it makes feminism seem like a buzzword and not Mm -hmm. a really complicated uh movement set of beliefs 
lived and, experience. Yeah, some of that, people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that I really like about Rookie is that the idea that it's this like a place for women to navigate and especially young women to navigate these kind of ideas mm. without that outer sort of sphere of people being like, it's this or it's that. It's just right. sort of like, this is how I feel about things. And mm-hmm. it's okay for us to talk about them and we can sort of navigate them in a way that is like safe for all of us. Yeah. Thank you. That makes me really happy to hear you say that because I feel like I often um, like something that a lot of I'm often asked, like, what's the toughest issue that teenagers or young women are facing today? <laughs> it's like it never like I don't have any answers. I don't mm. know how to fix anything. I also don't think that that question makes sense because there are so many um, people yeah. on this earth. But if it feels like a place where it's safe to question things and try and find one's own answers, then that makes me really happy. And I also think people kind of just take more and more. I mean, this has changed so much even in the years since Rookie started, just that like tumblers become a lot more popular and people take more and more cues from just each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think, well, representation in mainstream media is very important. But I don't think it's it's not the only thing the way it was when, like, my parents were growing up mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have really known about anything other than what they saw on TV or read in the paper. I definitely come from a world where, like, I was a very political teenager. Mm-hmm. But if you'd asked me when I was a teenager if I was a feminist, I would have given you some bunk answer about mm-hmm. being a humanist. Right, And, right. like, without knowing what that meant. Yeah. Without knowing that that didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, like, I have kids, like, schooling me mm-hmm. in feminist theory and like right. all of that the just the thoughtful analysis is yeah really wild and it's it's cool it's fucking cool you yeah. know what i mean even in the i mean i feel like i i hope i'm learning and growing all the time but yeah even since rookie has started i feel like the way that i think about my job at rookie has changed so much just from that feedback from readers and also from seeing yeah people on tumblr or twitter who i don't even know if they are rookie readers or mm-hmm. not, but I'm just happy that these conversations don't feel as uh, insular. Yeah. Um, well, actually, this is kind of just mean. <laughs> but I was just going to say that I, I, f- <laughs> I feel like, okay, you know, when you're at, like, something and someone's phone goes off and people roll their eyes mm-hmm. and it's sort of assumed that young people are on their phones all the time. Mm-hmm. It's always, like, an older person who didn't know how to turn it off. Yeah. And I feel like I get way more annoyed at, like, my parents for looking at their phones <laughs> than they do with me. And it's because we're kind of used to it yeah. and have come up with it. Mm-hmm. But my dad is like, look at this tiny robot. <laughs> and, like, I, so I just feel the need to set the record straight yeah. that um, older people spend more time on their phones. Yeah. And then when they're on their phones, too, they, like, never figured out how to turn off the noises that it makes when you type. Mm-hmm. You're like, turn that fucking shit off. Yeah. I can hear you from 15 feet away having a yeah. text message conversation. Taking accidental selfies. Oh, <laughs> it's cute. I know. I'm also generalized. I'm really only talking about like three old people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, sometimes I'm bad for like generalizing about boomers. And then my dad is like, w- like hella technologically advanced. Oh, really? Me. Like is he, it his job or, or something? No, he's just like a weirdo. That, like, I think the first time he ever saw a calculator, he was like, dog, what is this? <laughs> and then he was like, we've had, we had a computer since I was, like, seven. Ah. So, you know, back in the day, like, they weren't incredibly affordable. But my dad sort mm-hmm. of, like, pieced one together. Mm-hmm. So he's always, like, he's actually 
is really fast at texting. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a guy. It's terrifying. Um hey. But my mom loves to send me, like, text messages that end in love, mom. So, you know, That's it's a, so real, cute. a real spectrum, you know. Oh, my God. My mom, um, now she has an iPhone and maybe it's more intuitive. But for a while she had, like, a, a slide phone and she didn't know how to, like, delete um, typos or characters she didn't mean to type. So I would get a text that would be like, hey, and then all these numbers. <laughs> And then, like, like an accidental smiley and, like, all these letters and then, like, oops, when will you be home? <laughs> it was so cute. Um, my best friend taught her mom how to use emojis. Uh-huh. And her mom is, like, one of the smartest women I've ever met. She's, like, a high-powered businesswoman. Uh-huh. Like, she's the kind of businesswoman that if you asked me what she did, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, business <laughs> um, but she like my best friend will like turn her phone to me and she'll just have a message from her mom that's like the, like just emojis for till that i'm like is your mom you're that's next level your mom's trying to tell us something yeah and, right like, she's we, a prophet we don't even know like <laughs> i was like trish is on some next level communicating seriously like, she's a millennial she's an honorary yeah. millennial <laughs> <laughs> I'm really fascinated by your transition from just talking about fashion to wanting to talk about like more, this is the wrong way to put this, but more like interesting and more sort of like far reaching stuff. I am like fascinated by fashion Mm -hmm. in terms of like art, but I've always felt, especially in the last probably like five years, I began to feel like wildly alienated by fashion writing and that whole world where I was just like, you know, if my ankles look like this, I'm still going to wear what I want to wear. Yeah. Like, I don't – there's this idea around fashion writing that's, like, teaching you how to, like, dress for your body or showing you stuff that they're like, this is cool, but you can't wear it. Yeah, yeah. Because your thighs touch. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um yeah, well, I think that because I was so young, it's like I wasn't expecting to be able to relate to any of it. Mm-hmm. So I would buy, like – Italian Vogue, but skip everything until the photo editorials. Mm -hmm. And then I was just excited by it. And I felt so far removed from it. Like, no part of me felt like I was supposed to look like that because I was Mm prepubescent and androgynous. So I, they were just like dolls or aliens. And I felt like I could just kind of be excited by the clothes and, and write about that. And then when I started, um, high school around that time yeah I did feel more like a young woman Mm -hmm. and like I wanted something that could have everything I liked about fashion and personal style but also um uh not make you um dislike yourself (laughs) (laughs) so that and there are some fashion magazines that do that um but I was I guess I mean with Rookie they're we try it whenever we have fashion content. It's more like fun DIYs or mm-hmm. stuff like that. I love your fashion content at Rookie. Oh, like that's the kind of shit. Just especially to like uh, growing up as like a like a chubby kid or whatever. Like even as an adult, I love to look at it and go, oh, my God. Like you put like teenage Lauren into that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It felt like it feels like I look at it and I'm like, oh, I even like nostalgically relate to this. Oh. When I was like a teenager, like Seventeen Magazine mm. was definitely just like 
skinny ladies right. hanging out in bathing suits <laughs> together. Um, yeah, that, that's what the world is, yeah. Lauren. Please. <laughs> the world is a tampon commercial. <laughs> I don't know where you are, but the rest of us are here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. It's very confusing. Um, yeah, I mean, even when we don't have stuff that's like, like some of it is more about fashion as self-expression and a, a way of being super creative and not worrying about uh, like wearing something flattering. I still also don't want girls to feel like they have to be like totally wacky and risk taking. Mm-hmm. And I'm also someone where like I also like to know how to just do my makeup so mm-hmm. that I look more put together mm-hmm. and like my skin is even or whatever. So there's stuff like that too. But um, yeah, I and I find that even in the past few years, I think because of sites. Uh, like more feminist minded women's sites, even magazines like Cosmo or Elle or uh, Teen Vogue have mm-hmm. become more friendly to uh, women who want more of both, who don't want to have to choose between fashion and feminism. Yeah. And I think that like this sort of like wave or whatever we're going to call it of mm-hmm. feminism where the idea that, you know, being interested in what you're wearing and interested in what you look like is not mutually exclusive from Mm. being political. Right. That makes a lot of sense to me. Mm -hmm. It's always made a lot of sense to me. I've always been a, I hate this term so much, but like girly girl who was like into like politics or whatever. Uh So I like that it's butting up against each other now and there's not this like backlash. I mean, there is a backlash. But the idea that focusing on yourself is like not feminism or focusing on aesthetics mm. is not feminism. Right. No. Like that yeah, has never made sense to me. Yeah. I think uh for me, sometimes the things that speak to me stylistically are because there's some kind of pressure or standard I feel I need to meet uh as to how I look. But I think most of the things that resonate with me aesthetically are because or uh, for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Like they remind me of a movie I really love mm-hmm. or they remind me of a a cartoonist I was really into in high school or something and again even if it's not that I I just don't think it's like I remember one time in high school um a guy who I often debated with in English class was like uh I'm a feminist how can you be a feminist if you're so into fashion and I was like thank you sir (laughs) but I was also I felt like it's not like the age of the dinosaurs and Mm -hmm. I get to decide like what's important to me like you are influent we this is the world we live in now where your Mm -hmm. appearance does kind of matter yeah um completely yeah (laughs) so if you can harness that in a way that makes you feel good even if you are kind of playing the game and not just being like a a fashion weirdo Mm -hmm. then you have to do what you have to do just why, why shame anyone yeah or um decide that like one woman is responsible for the state of feminism just because of how she feels comfortable presenting herself physically also i think there's like i mean i think there's something subversive to it right like Mm -hmm. i think that there's definitely something interesting about using your aesthetic or even like your sexuality to sort of like flip the notions of like what feminism is or like mm-hmm. what a where a woman belongs in society i mean i was having this debate with someone i work with recently mm-hmm. where he was like has a man ever bought you a drink at a club and i was like yeah and he was like well then how can you call yourself a feminist and i was like what the f-? 
fuck kind of binaries do you live your life by? Like, the cognitive dissonance inherent yeah. there is mind-blowing, right? Right. I said to him, I was like, I think it's subversive. If you're a woman and you are really good looking and mm. you go out to the bar with not a fucking lick of money in your pocket mm. and you <laughs> get drinks bought for you the whole night, like, that's feminism to me. Yeah, right. You know? Also, I just don't care yeah like i i don't know people are doing different things in their personal lives all the time i don't think that's where like the major issues are Mm -hmm. i'm definitely like in favor of and this is sort of like a bit of a tangent from that but i'm definitely in favor of the idea of like call out culture but Mm. i think that like being so invested in someone's personal life that you'd be like you let a man buy you a drink like how dare you is like what are like Mm, what kind of time do you have in your personal life that you would like police someone in that way do you know what i mean yeah that's not activism that's not (laughs) um that's not really doing god's work yeah (laughs) um yeah i mean i think that's one of the huge upsides of what we're saying about younger people having more and more access to information on the internet Mm -hmm. and more of an ability to have a voice is that i feel like as much as i have fatigue about celebrity feminism Mm -hmm. um people are a lot more aware and take those critiques more seriously Mm -hmm. even if it is for branding reasons i feel like you spent so much of your like growing up online i wonder Mm -hmm. were you just especially because you were so young it's easy to be very like open about who you are. I wonder if you ever got to a point where you you were almost like, okay, I've given a lot of myself and now mm. I have to cut it off and sort of just like, I don't want to call it like playing a character, but sort of putting mm. up a veneer and being like, sure. this is what you get to know about me and the rest I'm sort of like keeping over here. Mm. Like I wonder if there was like a switch for you where you became aware of like how much of yourself you were putting in public. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's always... It's something I think about a lot. I mean, when I started Rookie, I was, you know, I started it from my bedroom and I didn't understand that, uh, like, if I would email someone and ask them to do an interview for us, like a writer or actress or something, and then they would, like, kind of redirect it to their publicist, I was like, what? I thought we're all just, like, artists doing what we love (laughs) all the time. Um, I didn't get that, like, it's a job. Yeah. Um, And I... You know, I would come home from school and do it. Like, it was my hobby, and mm-hmm. now it's my job. So now I go to the office, and then when I go home, I don't check my email. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also find that, you know, when I write something like my editor's letters, uh, if something gets sort of personal, it feels like the exact right safe space to do mm-hmm. that. Um, I also don't feel like there's this huge demand of, like, people who want to know the details of my personal life. (laughs) Sorted as they may be. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, please leave me alone. Let me live my life. I heard Um, you were dating Justin Bieber. (laughs) I wish. Um, Like, I would love to. That's my next project. (laughs) Wait, Um, I would 100% watch that reality show, just saying. (laughs) No, I I mean, I would too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I... I I don't I guess it's not so much about like oh which details to share but it is more about like okay how do I make sure that I still have a kind of a personal self that feels different from my work self but that's hard because at the same time it's like 
uh, for example, I had a friend, I have a friend uh, who I'm very close to who was a child actress mm-hmm. and feels that she spent a lot of her childhood developing a a professional self and not a personal self. And uh, maybe people who are super into s- school and excelling in their studies feel that way or something. But for me, there's some of that where I'm like, oh, I have uh, I have a career self. But again, because it started from my bedroom mm-hmm. and has always felt very personal, it doesn't feel like it's like, yeah, I can try to put up the wall, but then I would be getting rid of the element that makes it special. Like when mm-hmm. I moved into a new apartment this year, I was like, I'm not going to have a desk when I come home. No work. I'm just going to have a couch, TV, cereal. Um, just those three things in an empty apartment. (laughs) Um, but then at some point I, uh, there was a nice Ikea desk out on the street in front of my place. And I was like, yeah, and it was free. And I was like, it's who I am. I don't know. I can't like, I have to write when I wake up, I can't like get to the coffee shop first. Mm -hmm. Like I, and you know, not all of it has to be shared, but I also feel like, yeah, I don't know. I just think, like, I'm writing something right now that I think is, like, a little book, and it's really, really personal. Mm-hmm. And I I had, like, a thing last week where it, I realized how much I wasn't including just because I had created some division in my mind of, like, what was appropriate and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what if I actually, like, shared everything and I didn't really care if anything bad happened or if people didn't get it or or judged me? And it was so invigorating, and it felt like a weird victory. Mm -hmm. And I haven't, I mean, who even knows what will happen, but that just is more exciting to me than... No, I I think I understand that inclination if it's in service of a larger idea and not just to be like confessional like i'm being raw yeah like because i don't think that the stuff that i have written is especially it's not that it's too personal because it's like that i was drunk it's like (laughs) too personal because i think it's embarrassing to admit to some of the ways in which i process the world which is like you know it can be uh, lonely or ugly or selfish, but then I was thinking about like Miranda July, who mm-hmm. I feel like, like she's someone who I feel you could never ever disgust because she would just mm-hmm. like you more. Yeah, for putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think so. My creative outlet is mm-hmm. that I do stand up, like mm-hmm. I'm a comedian. So, I mean, my inclination to do that is. Like, I just go out any night and, like, get on a show and, like, talk some, talk some, like, I'm not, I'm not a very, I'm a very closed off person. Mm. Most people who know me would say that I'm emotionally closed off, Mm. but I will get on stage and talk about some embarrassing shit. I will talk about, and it's all very personal. And, like, in the moment, it's so visceral. It's so, like, it feels Mm. so good to get it out. And sometimes I get off stage and I'm like, oh, my God, like, I'm, I just let those people watch me process that. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it's like. You get that, like, sort of Mm -hmm. afterward, like, sense of embarrassment. But, like, that inclination to just, like, get up and, like, write something or say something that, Mm -hmm. like, makes people relate to you but also sort of maybe makes people 
like think differently about something mm-hmm. or I don't know, like I under I understand that so much. Yeah. I also think that likability and relatability are really boring. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate people being really candid and gross. Yeah. I mean, as long as they're not being like actual monstrous people. And I guess that line is different for everyone. But watching someone process something, like I think that's generous Mm -hmm. to to do that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there are some people where I'm like, I never in my life want to hear another Mark Maron monologue. Oh my God. But... (laughs) Um, I, so it's up to the audience to decide. I don't know. But like, I feel like that feeling is, it's, it's probably annoying to keep talking about this thing that I haven't even finished yet, (laughs) but it's sort of like there was a first version of it and I was like, "Mm, okay, perfect, lovely. I know what it is. And then this occurred to me that I could write whatever I wanted Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh yeah, that's so much like. Don't you want to learn about yourself? Don't you want to? It's so, I feel like one of the goals in art is to get to a place where you don't know what you look like. Yes. And you're just so (laughs) in it. Yeah. And you run the risk of losing your self-awareness and looking insane or any number of things. But I, that to me is like, I have a deeply ingrained, um, like stubbornness about authenticity and Mm -hmm. not being a coward and Mm -hmm. earnestness conquering over sincerity or over irony yeah so it's something like this has it's like become very important to me yeah I think that's and I think that's great I mean I definitely I will say I come from the like generation of irony I think Mm -hmm. I like grew up in a very ironic generation and it makes me like deeply happy that like anyone younger than me is interested in sincerity and like right. earnestness because I I find myself getting tripped up in that a lot. Right, right. Um, read the Mark Marin thing. I think <laughs> like that's fascinating and I think the reason that probably you and I and lots of people who aren't like uh, straight white guys mm. are tired of that mm. and why we find it fascinating in ourselves and in mm. other sort of like other women or mm. like people of color or queer people or whatever is that be- it's because we don't that's yeah. It's not a story that's been told, right? Like I listen to Mark Maron and I'm like, buddy, call me. I literally yeah. can tell you the solutions <laughs> to the problem, and then you can stop whining about yeah. it. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I know. Like, I'm a 29 year old woman who can literally just fix your life. Yeah. <laughs> I also think like my friend wrote something, Durga, on her Tumblr about Maggie Nelson mm-hmm. and a review. A- a little blurb about her book by Wayne Kostenbaum where he called her like a trespasser and she was talking about who has a right to trespass and Mm -hmm. I do I mean I'm female but other than that it's like yeah there is a lot more space for me to put it all out there Mm -hmm. and be unlikable and Mm -hmm. and and whatnot so that has to be taken into consideration but I do think that that is why when Mark Maron gets into it I'm just like you've been given too much time to think about these things yeah you're old as fuck like (laughs) You're like my dad's age. Like you're dating women my age, and you're like, why isn't this working? Why is my life in shambles? I'm like, oh my god. I mean, but then, but I have a friend who's like my age and so much like me, and she's like, I love that he exposes it. I feel like people, I don't know, yeah. whatever. People feel differently about different things. Not I mean, a revelation. He's got a fan base. Sure. So it is what it is.
I just finished Bluettes, so I'm on a very like <gasps> oh Maggie Nelson like high yes. from that book. That book is incredible. I read it and I was like, oh, I'm gonna read this 600 more times. It's beautiful. It was her. It's not her new book, but a review of her new book about the Argonauts mm-hmm. that <laughs> my therapist sent to me to be like, why don't to and it's it's about like um, her and writers fearing what could happen to them if they really said what they wanted to say. And I really like Blue Edge because it doesn't lead with, like, the juicy details of Mm -hmm. this relationship. But I'm in a position where I'm like, well, if those details serve the ideas you're exploring, it feels, like, so stupid to omit them out of a a need to protect someone who did not protect me. Yes. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And it's not like it's about him or or just like I'm I really don't want to publish something that's like the juicy details of my first year in New York but like <laughs> I it's like you can't it's so hard to resist including mm. everything when it's illuminating the same bigger idea yeah and I think that like for me Bluettes was a really brilliant sort of like meditation on I mean she's clearly like mm-hmm speaking about something yeah but it felt more like it felt more like she was talking about it from an angle of perception and from an angle Mm -hmm. of loss Mm -hmm. and I felt like yeah like the relationship served as an illuminating thing for all of these other things that she wanted to cover in this like obsession that she had and right yeah I mean I'm gonna read that book again yeah me too because it's like I feel like there's so much to unpack there and to Mm -hmm. like, and I mean, it's so hard to write book blurbs like, but I feel like boiling it down to being about a relationship is so, I know it's such a naive reading of it. Yeah. It does no justice to it. It's such a beautiful, I mean, she's a poet too. So that definitely comes across right um, in her writing. Does it feel like um, when you're doing stand up, like the part of what helps with processing it and feel like you're able to share is like audience response or is it just kind of like happening or I mean that's like a kind of um form that I have no insight into like I don't even know how you do that that's like the scariest thing to me um I've always been a real for me the combination of a performative aspect and Mm -hmm. a storytelling aspect Mm -hmm. is like fun yeah I think it's fun I like to Mm -hmm. goad people Mm -hmm. um I like to be on stage and for me it's like writing always was never immediate enough for me Mm -hmm. so the idea Ah. that I could write something write a sentence and then get on stage and be like does this work or doesn't it Uh uh-huh like it's immediate it's visceral that makes sense to me but like I mean I'm in my own head to a point but I'm not most writers I know are like I remember uh, I organized a panel for something that I was moderating and my friend who is a brilliant writer and mm-hmm. a very funny woman mm-hmm. uh, and so smart and so articulate, but she's a writer. Like mm-hmm. almost all the stuff she does in that sense is writing. Before we went on, she was like, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And I was like, why? You're like one of the best conversationalists mm-hmm. I know. And then I was like, I get on stage all the time and embarrass right. myself and it means nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I was yeah. like, I got to remember that, like, I'm a fucking weirdo. I'm a no. ham and that's weird. So No, that's not um, – I don't think that that's weird. I mean, I have a lot of 
I totally go through like, mm, am I a bad person because I like to be on a stage or I like to publish my work or I like, you know, but it's also like, I don't know. It's not for whatever reason, your DNA, the world, mm-hmm. like how you grow up, it builds you in this way where like you enjoy that and nothing about like you don't have to be like Henry Darger toiling away and mm-hmm. he's like making paintings like yeah. that's also kind of like sad and fucked up and yeah. he was going through something <laughs> like, I I don't know but I totally understand being like oh I'm a ham yeah well it's like because yeah. it feels like I feel like it's sort of the same it must be the same if you're a writer I remember mm-hmm. when I started doing comedy the idea of like what was more scary than getting on stage mm-hmm. was telling people that I was a comedian Mm-hmm. And I feel like lots of people I know who are writers are like, unless you know, unless they've been doing it for a long ass time, mm-hmm. their first inclination is not to say I'm a writer. I know. I think imposter syndrome is just really built into sort of creative fields where you kind of, if you're waiting for some kind of confirmation that you do the thing that you do, you'll mm-hmm. never really feel like you're there. Like yeah. someone was just telling me about a George Saunders interview or something where he says he thought like I feel like a writer once I finish a story and then I'll feel like a writer once I get it published and then I'll feel like a writer once I finish a collection of short stories and then once it wins an award and you can go on and on Mm -hmm. and unless you um like my friend was talking about why she feels like she can't be an artist and I was like you are you you do it though Mm -hmm. um but the uh, I think once the question of identity comes into it, it, it that's where like the fear creeps in yeah and I think, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's also very prominent to women and people who have mm. sort of never been allowed that stage. So right. I think that has a lot to do with it. But yeah, imposter syndrome is real. It's right. a hell of a drug. <laughs> I know. Mark Maron's probably like, I write with my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet if we Googled that, that's like a real quote that he said. <laughs> I like sort of feel bad about making him a target. I also just like don't care. He's doing fine. He's, it's funny. He's like a public he's figure. Never this part hear of it. this. And I will make sure he hears <laughs> like, it. We're both adding him on Twitter. <laughs> Mark Maron. <laughs> we have an idea for a reality show, and it's called Two Young Women. And fix your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a weird version of the parent trap that no one wants to see. <laughs> the one man trap. Yeah. The, uh, actually, uh, the one man trap sounds like a great show. Yeah. You okay. Feel good about that? About our Mark Maron TV show that someone's going to green light for us? <laughs> Please. Yeah. Man, it was so nice to meet you. You too. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming through. That was episode one. Thank you so much for listening. And a very special thanks to Tubby Gevinson for coming through the studio when she was here in Toronto. It's very nice of her. Cavern of Secrets is brought to you by Hazlitt. And it is hosted by me, Lauren Mitchell. Our theme song was made by Bianca Giulione. It's produced by Enchuman Itamsetti. And we got to give a very special shout out to Vicky Van Sickle and Carmen Bruce. You can find us on iTunes, wow, professional, and SoundCloud, wow, SoundCloud DJs. Just search for Cavern of Secrets on either platform. You can also find us on our website. It's cavernofsecrets.com. You can and should follow us on Twitter. We are at Cavern of Secrets. Uh, And if I can just jump back to iTunes for a minute, 
This is our first episode, so we are brand new, we're young, we're teenagers in the podcast world. So if you could give us a rating on iTunes, that would be very lovely. It's important in the first coming weeks, that's how we're going to get built up on that very fun, fun platform. So we will see you, or you will hear us in two weeks. But in the meantime, thanks for playing, thanks for listening. 